the glass and in. Not killing his beat to do. It's a third win against the top ten. And the Orange had him all the way. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into my heart. Three for the win battle. Bang! Boom! It's the Orange doing it again. The cardiac juice comes through on the road one more time. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Friday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Duntire. 315-437-7644 if you'd like to get involved. We do have a couple of guests lined up for you today. The voice of the Syracuse Crunch, Lucas Favalli, set to join us at 1245. The crunching, the uh, crunch falling in the series opener against Toronto last night, 6-4. to four. We'll get Lucas's thoughts with Game 2 set for tomorrow evening at 4 o'clock and then Games 3 and 4 back here in Syracuse at the War Memorial on Sunday and Tuesday. And then coming up next hour at about 1.30, Brian Higgins will join us as we talk some SU men's lacrosse. The regular season drawing to a close tomorrow inside the Carrier Dome against Colgate. And you would think a win, and the season continues in the NCAA tournament for the Orange. A close win, certainly a loss, and I think the Orange would be sweating it out on Selection Sunday. Uh, I know we didn't get a chance to watch the Calder Cup playoff game last night between the Crunch and Toronto. Uh, Seth, as the game was not televised uh, locally, we did have highlights uh, on the news last night. I had a chance to, to watch the game in that regard. There's something that kind of bothers me about the Calder Cup playoffs, and, and I don't know if it, if it bothers you or anyone else. The fact that Toronto goes five games in the first series. The series ends on Sunday. Syracuse, as we all know, swept Rochester to start you know their playoff run. They haven't played since last Wednesday. And, and the way that it's set up, and I know it's set up like this because the AHL wants as many games on the weekends as possible so that people go, and I get that. But Toronto wins the series on Sunday. Then they get three full days off. They're sitting at home. They win game five at home. They sit around for three days. They turn around. They play on that fourth day last night. Fatigue, not a factor at all. And Syracuse had this long layoff, eight-day layoff. And again, I get why they do it, but... It's it's almost a, a disservice to the crunch, or you know, it just happens to be in this situation the crunch. But whichever team you know gets off to a fast start, I feel like if you're pushed to five games, you should have to deal with a fatigue factor to some degree. And, and Toronto did not; they got three days off, played on the fourth day. They looked sharp last night. They scored six goals, and now the Marlies have the one zero series lead. You this, don't care? No, <laughs> this doesn't bother me. All right. uh, I get why they do it. I under, I totally understand it. Uh, it's part of it. Uh, I mean, look, it, it's just it's not it's part, part of it in every sport. No, though. but it it is in the AHL. It is. Uh, it's it's just part of how they have to do it. Uh, you know, it's it's minor league sport, and they've got to get their games in the position where they are able to get the most people in the seats and and be the most profitable. So I I get it. I get it. Uh, you know what? It it happens. And at the end of the day, yeah, Toronto did have to go longer, but they are also the top overall seed and we're the best team in not just the division, but in the entire AHL over the course of the season. So you know what? If they, you know, if, if there's a team that deserves a couple more days off as a benefit of scheduling, maybe it's them. And look, they, they started the series on a Thursday. They could have been like, nah, we're going to wait until Friday. 
You know, it's it's not like they it's not like they Well again, I think they wanted to give both teams a weekend game, which is why they went Thursday, Saturday in Toronto, right. then Sunday in Syracuse, because theoretically you would have that travel day in between going from right. Toronto to Syracuse. But again, they do that so that each team gets to benefit from playing a you know, a weekend game and it helps with attendance. I understand the finances of the whole thing. I'm just saying it's it's not too fair. And again, it just happens to be the crunch in this situation that doesn't benefit from this. I'm not saying it's just because of the crunch. It just bothers me how this whole thing is is stretched out. Like, for instance, we're you know, we're gonna travel to game seven with channel nine. Like, should there right. be a game seven? We're going to Toronto. The game's not until May sixteenth. Like, I mean yes. think about that. The, right. No, look, the, they, the they, crunch their schedule is is drawn out forever. And it's to your point because they want to maximize weekends, right? They, that that's what you have to do, and and they're already uh, doing it weird where they're playing on a Tuesday night. I mean, the Crunch haven't played a Tuesday night home game in, in how long? Any weeknight home game is is a Wednesday or a Friday, and they're they're going to go play next Tuesday. So you know they're already kind of messing around and and doing a weird schedule. Um, so I, I guess your point would be just go all in. Yes, just play the series however it falls. Like, Syracuse finished off Rochester on April 25th. If there is a Game 7 in this series, it will be on May 16th. That is exactly three weeks later. It should not take three weeks to play a series. So that's that's my only point, is that, listen, if you get stretched to the full five games, fine. The, you turn right around and you play two days later. Like, you know, the game's on a Sunday. All right, you play home Tuesday, Thursday, and then Syracuse gets to benefit from having, you know, the weekend home games or however it falls on the calendar. Do we really need to stretch this out over the course of three weeks? I just, yes, think, that, I just think that's silly. Yes, because they're in the AHL. Okay. Fair enough. It's unfortunate. You're not doing this in the NHL. Uh, you're not doing the NBA. Because you don't have to, and people are showing up, and people are spending their money no matter what day it is. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's let's uh, let's point this out too. There's a series in Toronto, and they scheduled it on two days that the Raptors have games. Uh, maybe don't do that. You know, maybe it's a fair go, point. Maybe go Wednesday, Friday instead of Thursday, Saturday. Although, and this is a good segue by you. Uh, I'm not sure how many more games there will be in Toronto <laughs> in terms of basketball, and there may be no more games in Toronto this basketball season as they get flattened last night by the Cavs, one twenty-eight to one ten. Cavs have now won five straight playoff games in that building, going back uh, to last year, and LeBron James once again took over. Dominated, 43 points, 14 assists, 8 rebounds, did anything he wanted to do in this game. And again, it felt like watching that game, it felt like the Raptors just kind of laid down at the end. I, you know, I was going to say, we we can talk about LeBron being, uh, you know, being this great player all we want, right? We, we can talk about LeBron James and, and how great he is and, and where he stands in the NBA and, and whatever all he wants and, and his talent on the court. This series... This Toronto-Cleveland thing, this Toronto-LeBron thing is beyond that, right? It's it's beyond LeBron making seven, seven fadeaway jumpers in a quarter. It is beyond that. It is beyond him just scoring 43 and willing that team to a win. There's something mental here. There's something very mental to this where Toronto just can't get over having to play LeBron James. And... Kyle Lowry is a good player. DeMar DeRozan, a good player. They're both all-stars. They both got max or near-max deals. 
but LeBron James is is like living in their minds. I mean, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. You know, I, I saw a lot of um, impressive stats coming out of last night's game in regards to LeBron. Uh, he either scored or assisted on 77 points last night, the most that, that he's ever scored or assisted on in his playoff career. The one that I think jumps out at me the most, which I, I found, I think, again, most impressive, in two games, these last two games, he's got 27 assists. He's got three turnovers. Yeah. 27 assists and three turnovers. Nine How about to one? that? A nine to one assist to turnover ratio. It's all right. Had one turnover last night. It's and all he was right. beating himself up about it, you know, afterwards in the yeah. post game press conference. He lamented that one turnover and, he had. And he, like, hasn't sat out. I mean, these games he is playing near played 41 every minutes minute. last night. But yeah. yeah and and, they, and they, in, the, in the first game, he played 46. Uh, and let's mean, not forget Game 7 against the Pacers. He, he played 45, 46 yeah. minutes. Yeah, I, I mean, he isn't really sitting out. He is playing at an incredibly high level. Uh, look at his numbers last night. Shot an incredible percentage, 19 of 28. I mean, that's great. Uh, you know, he, he is just playing at a level that is uh, unbelievable to watch. A lot of fun to watch. I, I mean, it, it's amazing to see what he's doing. Um, that third quarter was just uh, amazing. I don't know how else to describe it. That third quarter, they come out and they outscore Cle- they outscore Toronto thirty-seven to twenty-four, and they jump out to a lead and they don't look back. and And the things LeBron was doing in that quarter, it were were just remarkable. I, I mean, he was hitting uh, that that was the quarter he hit the seven fadeaway jumpers, which seems absurd. Um, it, it he he just did whatever he wanted. Right, I mean, and and that's been the overarching thing here of of LeBron in the playoffs. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And it's a situation where, and I'm going to kind of bring it back locally. Um, when Syracuse needed a basket this year, you knew that the ball was going to Ty's battle. Right? It was it was his his team. It was his job to to score when they needed it. And and we saw how difficult that was when it was five on three, and when everyone in the building knew who was taking the shot. You saw how difficult it was on Ty's battle, game in and game out, and the the burden that he had to carry throughout the season. LeBron James, he's not doing this on. You know, the Cavs teams from three years ago. This Cavs team is not good, and we talked about this the other day. Kevin Love had a great game. Kevin but, Love had a well, great game. Okay, Great great first half. Yeah, and he scored 31 points. 25 in the first half. Right. So this is game nine of the postseason. That's his first good game. Right? J.R. Yes. Smith played well in game one of this series. So of the nine, J.R. Smith has played well once. LeBron James has played well nine times. Yes. Every night he's there. And I guess my point is is that, you know, you throw out the numbers, 43, 14, eight rebounds. And then I think the degree of difficulty has to be taken into account, right? The fact that he's doing it, and again, everyone in the building knows, well, if if the Cavs are going to win, LeBron is going to have to score a lot of points. And, and for he's going to have go, to pass the ball, and he's going to have to get every rebound. For yeah. him to go 40-plus yet again and double-digit assists, I believe that's is. if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw this, his fourth career game in the playoffs in which he's gone over 40 and double-digit assists, and that's the most of anyone ever. I, I believe that's right. I think I saw that last night. You're looking it up? Well, I'm looking at what he's done this this postseason. I mean, he's he's had 44, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. He's had 46, 12 rebounds, 5 assists. 45, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. And then 43, 14 assists last night and, and 8 rebounds. I mean, 
again, again, I think the I think the stat he was wants. I think the stat was forty plus points and double digit assists. He's done it four times in the playoffs. I mean, it's 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 remarkable. And again, everybody in the building knows he's the guy. He's he's got the ball in his hands ninety percent of the time, and he had one turnover. I but I I can't like I, I keep trying to come back to this, and I, I can't get over the the winning in Toronto thing because Toronto's a good team. Like Toronto's not a bad team. Toronto went and and uh, you know nearly won the East this year, or did win the East this year. Sorry, and, and they had fifty nine wins, and and they looked really good. And Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry are both all star players. What is it about that place that LeBron James, even with a weakened team this year, goes in and wins the first two games? But now, over the last two postseasons, has won five straight in that building. Like, what is it about LeBron James think, and Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan that allows him to go in and do this? I, I mean, they they clearly don't have anybody to guard him. I but think it's more hit, than that, I think you hit the nail on the head five minutes ago when you said that LeBron's in their head. I don't think this has to do with the building. I don't think if it's the Air Canada Center or the Quicken Loans Arena or out here in the Galaxy Communications parking lot, I think LeBron <laughs> is going to beat the Raptors. And and until they figure out a way to beat them and break through, and that's why I think Game One was so important for this series and for the Raptors. They should have won that game. They were the better team. That game. And then Cleveland chipped away and kept it close and hung in there. And then LeBron made some plays down the stretch. And Toronto didn't. They missed some shots down the stretch. The game goes into overtime. And you knew when the game went into overtime, there was no way Toronto was winning that game. And then when Toronto didn't win that game, they came back in game two. And you felt like, all right, this is a must win. And we saw what happened last night. So I don't think this is a case of where the game was played. I think this is a case of, as you said, LeBron is in their head. And Toronto needs to figure out a way to beat him. And right. by coming back and stealing game one, that was, in my opinion, that was the series. I think so, too. And, and you know, beyond the fact that he's just got space in their minds rent-free and, and that he's living there, like, there is no way to stop him. Right? Like, like whatever the way to stop him is, right, Whether and, and I don't think there is one way, and I, I don't think anybody in the league will agree there's a way, uh, but, you know, if, if you're the Warriors and you've got Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala and Clay, Ma- and, and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, who are all plus defenders, and you could throw them all at him at various points in the game and make him do different things, okay, maybe that's a way to do it. The, the Raptors don't have one of those, right? Like, the, the Raptors don't have one guy who can do that. And, and so, aside from the fact that there's this mental game going on that LeBron has clearly already won— like, the Raptors don't have a way physically to get in the game, do they? Like, I, I don't see a way that Saturday night they're going to come out, and as this series moves to their to, to Cleveland, they're just going to be like, oh, well, Serge Ibaka is just going to play better defense now. No. I like, think there's the, no way. I think the series is over. And when LeBron is making that fadeaway, and as you mentioned, he made you know seven of them in one quarter, you, you can't guard that. Like, you can't stop that. And maybe Kevin Durant, can stop it because he's six eleven and he can get a hand up and right. you know. But Toronto has nobody who can stop that, and you know. So I think Cleveland wins this series. I think Cleveland moves on. You know, we said it going back to to last series. Indiana was the better team. Cleveland won because of LeBron James. Toronto. I don't think there's any doubt that Toronto is the better team. You know, Dwayne Casey said it after game one, we're the better team. Now, maybe they weren't last night. I mean, Kevin Love, when he plays like that and he had a great first half, okay, you know, maybe it was more even last night. But I think by and large, you know, on paper, if you just look at X's and O's and personnel, Toronto is the better team. 
But Cleveland has LeBron James, and they're most likely going to win this series. I would be shocked if they didn't, and they're going to move on. How now, long can can the Cavs keep this up with, well, we have LeBron, and even though you're better, we're going to well, keep winning. And I and, and yeah. I posed this to you a couple days ago. There's not a simple answer. But, you know, if Boston, I think, is the better team. If Cleveland goes up against Boston, the LeBron James factor, will that be enough to get by Boston? Yeah, I, I, I was going to bring that up because, uh, you know, at the beginning of the playoffs, we said, well, LeBron can't possibly lead this team to the finals. And we were like, oh, look at Toronto. Come on, it's their time. Or look at Philly. Like, Philly's going to step up. Or look at Boston. Like, Boston's got all this young talent. And they got discounted because everybody's hurt and, and they're missing their two best players and, and whatever. But, like, now we're three weeks into the playoffs, right? Or two weeks into the playoffs. And Toronto all of a sudden looks terrible. And you realize just how bad they are and just how much of a mental factor there is. And, and it looks like Cleveland's going to walk all over them for two more games and, and move on. Boston looks incredible. I, I mean, Boston looks great. Uh, and I, I don't remember, I don't know if I, I said this with you because we were working on the same show at the time, but like I would have picked Jason Tatum first last year. I, I mean, I don't know if he fit with Philly, but I, I would, whatever, I would have picked him first in the draft last year, uh, and and he is looking every bit that pick, and, and Terry Rozier and the whole deal up there, I mean, they're looking very good, and oh, oh, by the way, like, Philly could just get hot and rip off four in a row, but it, it's LeBron, and so are we really going to bet against LeBron to just go and, and, and rip through this again? Yeah, I mean, if you asked me before the playoffs started, would you take LeBron to the field in the East? I mean, the answer would be the field. This is the, but this is the first time in a while that I would have even considered saying right. the field, right? Yes, correct. Like this is this is the first time since before he left Cleveland Two that reasons. I would have even considered saying the field. Two reasons: the field is better. Yes, and LeBron's team is worse. Right. So that that's why. And I would have easily taken the field, not even given it a second thought. And LeBron's proven us wrong, at least to this point. I mean, he has been fantastic. I mean, there's not enough, you know, I don't know what the right adjective is to describe how he's been playing. All-time great. Yeah. Right? I mean, he has been all-time great level. In fact, you know, and we touched on this argument the other day in this debate the other day. Paulie walked in here before the show started and he said, "Steve, I'm going to say something. I'm the first person Sacrilege. in our generation." <laughs> yeah. So he's the first I'm the first person in our generation, Paulie and I are roughly the same age, to say this. And then, you know, he went ahead and said, "LeBron's better than MJ." So he said it. Yeah, and I know you. You think I already think it. You think otherwise. You you know you think LeBron is is the best player. You've thought it all along, and generally it is a generational thing. My generation thinks it's MJ. Your generation thinks it's LeBron. Right. Polly has crossed over to your side. Right. I and and I joked with Polly like because he he told me this between shows. Uh, you know, I was sitting here in studio and and he was like, you know, uh, uh, he goes, did you hear the start of the Baldwin show? I said, no, I, I didn't. I didn't catch it. He goes, well, I said that that LeBron's better than MJ. And I go, you know, that's funny. We were talking about it the other day, and I said, you're a very small group. Like, your age who watched MJ and is like, no, LeBron is better. Like, that's why I think the argument's kind of like a fool's errand. Like, it's kind of like a a, a pointless argument to have. Because I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, look at LeBron James, who's averaging in this two games, two games in this series, 34 and a half points, 13 and a half rebounds, and uh, 13 and a half assists, and nine and a half rebounds a game. And and I'm going to say, how is that not as good as anything ever, right? E- ever. And you're going to sit back and say, well, MJ won all the MVPs and won all the rings and 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 did this in the playoffs and Craig Elo and, and the whole deal. And, like, neither of us are wrong. Right. Like, that's, that's the thing. Neither of us are wrong. So you're just stuck in your trench. 
And whichever side you're in, you're not getting up and running across to the other one, unless you're Polly. Polly, Polly is like running through, evading the bullets in the war fe- uh, in the battlefield, and trying to get into the other trench. And that's why I said the other day: Is there anything that can be done? And I know you're already on the side of the fence that LeBron's the best of all time. But my question to MJ supporters: Is there anything that LeBron can do to surpass him? And is that you know, is it get to six rings? Like I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if like if you. Firmly believe MJ is the best player of all time. Is there anything LeBron can do? Is there anything more no, he because, can do? No, because to get to six, he would have lost seven. Like true, but still, like, that, like then he, he would gets, have. Well, like, he, he went to all these finals if, and look at the teams the that he finals, took there. If he gets to the finals this year, it's he's going to get swept. Yes, I mean he's going to get swept in the finals. And I, and I will say that for any of the four teams in the Eastern Conference left. No, I think so. No, I don't think so. You don't so. think the Warriors Swept? will sweep you don't nah. think the Warriors would sweep Boston or Philly? Or this or or I, look, the Rockets don't look so good right now. You don't think the Warriors would sweep any of these three teams? I think I'm already discounting Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's possible, but generally, generally that game three, when it's you know you're down two zero and you go back home and you play with right. your backs against the wall, generally that's the one that everybody gets. You know, the underdog gets. I would even say the Cavs could get that one. I don't. I don't think Cavs whoever, didn't get that one last year. I know. I know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the Celtics in particular. I don't know. I'm impressed by the Celtics. I am too. And I, I'm. I'm excited to see them once they get Hayward and Kyrie back. Yeah, they are going to be. I, look, I don't know how the minutes are going to work. I don't. I don't know how they're going to get the minutes going, but I'm excited for that. Yeah, I don't think you can just assume there's going to be a sweep. we got to take our first time out. 315-437-7644. Again, Lucas Favalli, the voice of the crunch, set to join us at 1245, and then Brian Higgins at 130. Keep it here. Orange Nation just getting started on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. A lot to get to here in hour number two. We're going to talk some lacrosse with Brian Higgins at 1.30. We've got today's business coming up in about 15 minutes from now. But we kick off hour number two talking baseball. The Yankees just keep on winning. You said that this was going to be a big road trip, Seth, for the Yankees. They had the Angels, they had the Astros, and they just keep on winning. They dropped the series opener to Houston. Other than that, though, a 6-1 and one road trip. They've now won 12 of their last 13 games, and they did it in impressive fashion yesterday, blowing a late lead, rallying, coming back to, to steal that one in the ninth. And, you know, to, to take three out of four down in Houston, that's that, a statement yeah, for this no, team. That, that is a statement. That means something. Uh, it, it, that, that seven games was huge. I, I mean, you, you look at what the Yankees have done this year, and they're, they've been good. Uh, you know, they, they were off to an okay start. They win nine in a row uh, as part of this 12 out of 13. And, you know, they're playing well, but you kind of question who they're beating, right? 
Minnesota, even though you thought they would be a playoff team coming into the year, Minnesota's been bad this year. Uh, you know, Toronto wasn't expected to do much of anything. You split a series with the Marlins. You know, you split a series with Tampa earlier in the year. Uh, te- uh, you split a series with Baltimore. You know, teams that aren't good that you should be beating, not just splitting these series with. Um, and then to go on the road and, and sweep L.A., huge, I, I think, uh, because I think Anaheim is the other wild card. I, I think one wild card will come out of the AL East, and Anaheim will be the second one. Um, and you go and you sweep them, and, and you you kind of exercise some demons there because that has been a place that you just cannot, you know, you, they, they just have not been able to win. Uh, they hadn't swept a series in Anaheim in 15 years until they went out and did it uh, that last weekend. And then they go win three out of four uh, in Houston. I think this is a huge, huge week for the Yankees. Hard to believe that this team was 9-9. Nine and nine. And now they're they're tied with Arizona for the second best record in all of baseball. And Giancarlo Stanton hasn't started hitting yet. Yeah, it's a good point. And you look at what the pitching staff did, you know, especially against the Astros. Gave up two runs in a loss in the series opener, then back to back zeros, and then yesterday was a low scoring game until the end. And and obviously the you know the Astros scored some runs late, but they, they come back and they win in six five. They held Houston scoreless for twenty eight consecutive innings, uh, which you know you're you're going up against that offense that that doesn't happen. I mean they got shut out in back to back games and then some. Um, this Houston team is really good. This Houston team is better than they were last year when they won the World Series. Uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind about that, and and they went down there and and just beat them. Uh, you know, the Justin Verlander throws eight innings of shutout ball, striking out fourteen people in in one of the best games that anybody has thrown this year. Uh, but it doesn't matter because the Yankees match zero for zero, and then and then beat up on Ken Giles. Uh, you know, yesterday the the Astros take a lead off of Masahiro Tanaka loading the bases and the Yankee bullpen not being able to hold it. Except as a Yankee fan, you're sitting there and you're like, eh, they've got this bullpen's number. It doesn't matter who they bring in. And and it didn't matter who they brought in. Uh, The Yankees beat the Astros' bullpen again. And if the Yankees get that kind of starting pitching, then watch out. Because we know about that lineup. And you said, you know, Giancarlo Stanton hasn't started hitting yet. Did have two home runs the other game. But to your point, he's batting right around 240 at this point. And if they get starting pitching like that, to go with that lineup – they're going to be awfully, awfully tough to beat. They, Luis Severino looks every bit the part of an ace. Yeah, uh, the Yankees are 18-1 and in games uh, where they have allowed less than four runs, and the one loss coming in, in that game a couple days ago in Houston. Uh, they have been incredible when allowing four runs or fewer. It's just unbelievable, and it's really because of that lineup, right? And, and I wrote this for our website, ESPNSyracuse.com, but, you know, this run has really been carried by the pitching staff, and... And yeah, the hitting has come alive, and it's more fun to talk about Aaron Judge and Didi Gregorius and Gary Sanchez and Giancarlo Stanton. But, you know, Luis Severino went and threw his best game as a professional uh, a couple nights ago, throwing that complete game shutout. Uh, you know, Masir Tanaka threw uh, one of his best games of the year uh, last week. You know, CC Sabathia, in his last two starts, has gone 13 innings, allowing one earned run. You know, so they're throwing, uh, you know, the, the starting pitching is, is as good as it has been all season. Um, and, and I don't know if that's sustainable because that's kind of what the question mark is around this team and has been. But if they're going to get good pitching, they're going to go really far. And that brings up something that I wanted to talk to you about, Seth. And, you know, you mentioned the Yankee pitching outperforming the bats to this point. Uh, the pitching around the league has been outperforming the offense, at least through the month of April. For the first time 
in Major League Baseball history, there were more strikeouts recorded in a month than hits. Think about that. More strikeouts than hits last month in in April. 6,656 Ks against 6,360 hits. And that averages out to about 14 strikeouts per game between the two teams. And that's just kind of the way... Baseball, it's the direction baseball is trending in, right? That it's that so much of it is about hitting home runs or striking out. And, you know, the analytics will tell you that strikeouts don't hurt you like they used to, right? There's there's more of a benefit in hitting a home run than, you know, than hitting a single or laying down a sacrifice bunt and well, moving a guy you, over. If you strike out, you can't hit into a double play. That's true. Which is, well, unless you really mess up, which <laughs> which is important. So I, I think that's one of those things that has gotten, you know, that that is kind of a, a smart, you know, advancement in, in football, uh, in baseball. <laughs> I, I looked up and I saw a picture of, of, of Eagles jerseys on my, on my computer screen. But, yeah, that's one of those smart advancements in baseball, right, where a strikeout doesn't hurt you nearly as much as you think. And, you know, I, I know I said this a lot with Aaron Judge last year, but – he had, what, 700 plate appearances. He's going to walk 100 times, all right, knock it down to 600. He hit 280, okay, so, you know, out of the 600, he got he he got out, what, 420 times? Right. Something about, around there, 450 times. So what's it matter if 200 of those are strikeouts, right? Like, why, why does it matter? And, well, and, they're not productive outs. Is, you know, that's the, the, the opposite side right. will tell you. Well, they're not right. productive. Right. But, they don't move the runner over. They, you but, know. But I'd rather him take the chance that he's going to hit a home run than than be attempting to move the runner over. And I, I think that that's the payoff that that the analytics have have kind of uh, worked into the game, right? Where it makes more sense to try and swing for the fences than it does to simply move a guy over from second to third, from you know third to home, uh, you know, in a, in a way. It makes a lot more sense to just swing for the fences and and go all out and. At some point, this was going to happen. At some point, strikeouts were going to eclipse hits. Will there be a Will there be a reversal? Maybe, maybe there will be at some point. Games are cyclical. Cyclical sport. Sports are cyclical. But uh, I, I tend to think this is more of, of what we're going to see for a little while. I said an average of fourteen Ks per game. It's actually seventeen point five. So I, I apologize You're for down that. There. Uh, se- so seventeen strikeouts per game. Obviously, the two teams combining for that. And and the average for home runs per game, it's, it's only a shade over two. That that kind of surprises me that that there's two home runs per game. Well, and 17 Ks, and I realize yeah. that's an average, but that, you know, that's a surprising number. You know, la- last year they set a record for most home runs in a season. Major League Baseball set a record for most home runs in a season. Um, I would imagine this year will be the same. And and when the weather warms up, how, how many times have we said this about Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, and and whoever else, when the weather warms up, the ball starts to fly more, and and you could see that. You know, when the roof was open in Houston the other night, ball moved. Uh, you know, the ball the ball went a little bit further. Gary Sanchez's home run carried out of center field there. Uh, you know, and and I think that that will happen. You know, at Yankee Stadium, some of those balls that die on the warning track in in another week, two weeks, three weeks will be seven, eight, ten rows deep, and and so that'll happen all around baseball, right? I mean. This has been the coldest start of a year that they've had ever. I, I mean, they had the most April cancellations that baseball has ever had. So I think when the weather warms up, you'll see the home run pace starting to pick up as well. And, uh, you know, that then, then it just becomes home runs and strikeouts and, and not much of anything else. 
How about this stat, Seth? Joe DiMaggio, as you know, Joe DiMaggio never struck out more than 39 times in one season. <laughs> yes. Yoannis Cespedes, Giancarlo Stanton, Carlos Gomez, Juan Mancada, all among the players who struck out more than that in the month of April. Yep. That is nuts. Yep. And I'm not sure who that is well, there know, was more a... impressive about. Is that I mean, that's is it is that the pitching or is that the way the game is played this day? Or how about the fact that Joe DiMaggio never struck out more than thirty nine well, times well, how in about a season? The, how about the stretch uh, the earlier homestand when Giancarlo Stanton struck out more in six games <laughs> right. than DiMaggio did in a season? That's nuts. In an MVP season, he struck out like fourteen times. And and obviously the more impressive part there is yes. Joe DiMaggio went hundred fifty four games striking out 14 times but it i it really just speaks to how the game has changed doesn't yes. it i mean it really just speaks to okay you can you can have you can have that now. Is right? that you a can problem have... for the entertainment value? Yes. The fact yes. that it's become yes. home run or strikeout, like by and large, it's yes. you know you, you play for the long ball and guys are striking out. It it leads to a lot of pitches. It leads to longer games. You think that's a problem? Yes. Uh, that's the pace of play problem. That is the pace of play problem, and and nobody wants to address it as that. Uh, everybody's like everybody says, and and I'm guilty of this too. Oh, shorten commercial breaks or limit mound visits or or whatever. No, the the pace of play problem is that baseball has gotten so stuck in these three true outcomes: home run, strikeout, walk. What happens on a strikeout? Three people are involved. What happens on a walk? And it's a lot of pitches generally, right? What Same happens on a walk? walk? Right. Three people are involved, and it's a bunch of pitches. What happens on a home run? Three people are involved. That's the pace of play problem, right? If if people were consistently putting balls in play, if people were moving station to station like in, in the late 90s and early 2000s, and if people were bunting you over and, and, and kind of playing baseball that way, right, stealing bases, whatever you want to say, there wouldn't be a pace of play problem. Because, you know, over the course of, over the course of 20 years, what, the, the games have started to last, what, five minutes longer on average? Like, Okay, uh, that's not that's not a huge difference. The problem is that the style of baseball has changed so much since 1997 that it's not as interesting, right? There's, there's less there's drama, more, right? There's, there's more. There's not, more downtime, right? And there's not, you know, it's there's less strategy involved. There's, right. you know, it's to, to your point. It's not like you're you're waiting for that guy to try to steal second so they can knock him in with the right. winning run. Like because, there's less of that now. It's because you're waiting for the home run to happen. Because even stolen bases have been seen as an inefficiency, right? Right. Uh, I mean, if if you if you're the Yankees right now, and it's I, not worth the risk because right. you wait for the home run. If you're the Yankees right now, and I've I've argued this on Yankees on Deck, take Brett Gardner out of the leadoff spot because if he gets on base, which he hasn't been doing over the last eight games. But if he gets on base, you don't want him stealing second because that takes the bat out of judges' hands, right? So you might as well just move that player and 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 kick him to the side and, and move him down in the lineup. ESPN Syracuse wants you to go see the Mets versus the Yankees at City Field on Sunday, June 10th. For just $115, you get tickets to the game, a bus ride from Frank's Tours to and from City Field, and Cam's Pizza on the way to Queens. Just go to ESPNSyracuse.com to buy your tickets. It's your chance to see a Subway Series game, the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball Game of the Week, all for just $115 with transportation to and from the game. Only a limited number of tickets will be sold. So go to ESPNSyracuse.com beginning on Monday to purchase your tickets. Today's business coming up next. Keep it here.